The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the strategy, practice, and legality of collecting emails from web traffic. Joining us is Adam Robinson, who is the founder of Get Emails, which is the world's first ever email-based retargeting software. Get Emails identifies up to 35% of anonymous web traffic and then sends their contact records directly to your email marketing app. So you can follow up with what were previously lost leads. And today, Adam and I are going to discuss how to get email addresses from your web traffic. Okay, here's my conversation with Adam Robinson, founder of Get Emails. Adam, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Very excited to have you on the show. Excited to talk a little bit about email collection. And to be honest, it's something that we've been spending a lot of time here at the MarTech Podcast thinking about. We're in the beginning stages of starting to think about how to get people from listening to our audio content onto our website to eventually start building out a community. And it seems like the first step there is once you get some web traffic, how do you get contact information people so you're not constantly paying for retargeting ads? It seems like your service is kind of right in the middle of this process. Talk to me a little bit about your process for collecting email addresses. Sure. It solves a pretty major problem, which is that one that you just addressed. You're not alone in having it. Glad to hear it. Yeah. People want to own their traffic. And it's exactly what you said. It's like, there's several problems with these retargeting audiences. One is you can't pull them out of the social platforms. So you don't own the audience, right? The second one is you have to keep refreshing it every 90 days. Every 90 days, you have to pay for the same person in Facebook or Google, right? So the need to own your audience is real. It's big. And email marketing, despite everyone saying for the last 10 years that it was going to die, is not dead. It's very far from dead. I remember hearing that Slack is going to kill email right, and exactly. social is going to kill email. It's still the biggest and best channel. Actually, tell me a little bit about that. Why is email still such a powerful channel? I think it's because you own the traffic and it's so reliable, first of all. Second of all, the ISPs, Gmail, Hotmail, whatever, all these guys, they've actually made it. Their spam filters are good enough so that the experience of using email is not bad for the user. Like Gmail is great. You only get emails you want. And marketing emails, you know, if you have the right list maintenance, the right, right list collection practices, and you're sending the right content, they get through. And people are in their email. 
you live in there, right? So I think the combination of those three things is just an effective medium because I don't think we will ever lose the need to send a non-time-sensitive message to somebody that is in the environment that email is. Yeah, and I think that what you're getting at is ubiquity. Everybody has an email address. And so if you can find who the person is and you have their email address, you have the ability to communicate with them. So there's some best practices for using emails. And a lot of it has to do with the collection of email and emailing people that you have a relationship and are expecting your message. It seems like get emails is playing a little bit in the gray area of collecting email addresses from people that don't necessarily think they're giving them to you. So talk to me through how the product technically works. How are you actually able to collect email addresses from anonymous web traffic? So there's two sides of it. One is the identification piece, which you can do in a few different ways. I'll just tell you the way we're doing it. And the other side is the database piece, which you can also do in a few different ways. So right now, and we'll have to do it a different way in a couple of years because cookies are being phased out, but it's a cookie-based ID system. And we're part of a cookie network. There's companies like LiveRamp and Throttle. They have deals with email marketing companies where they have a pixel in all of the customer newsletters that go out over, let's say, just make one up MailChimp. Then when somebody receives a MailChimp newsletter with a LiveRamp pixel in it, if they open it or click on it, a cookie gets put in their browser that has an email address in it that's been encrypted in an MD5. This is an encryption language where it's a unique identifier, but it's unidentifiable by a human being and you can't decode it. So that's one side of it. It's a hashed email address and a cookie in a browser, and that's being used for several different things. So let me make sure I understand this. There are companies like LiveRamp and Throttle that you mentioned that have people that are sending emails at scale, capturing or sending emails to a huge part of the population. And whenever they send an email, they are essentially firing a pixel or they're triggering the cookie to say, okay, this email is first and foremost real. It is live. Somebody actually opened the email. That's critically important because what kills your deliverability in the email world is dead emails that are spam traps. That's it. Right. So you already knew the address because they have it from MailChimp, but MailChimp can't be passing those email addresses on to LiveRamp or Throttle. They're not. They're passing a de-identified email address to LiveRamp, but they're getting paid for it. So they're not giving any PII up. I mean, not every ESP would do it, but a lot of people do want to make more money from this platform that they have. And these companies will pay you 7 or $8 CPM for passing them these hashes. And there's a lot of different uses for the hash email address in the advertising network. You can pile all sorts of behavioral data on it. Like, you know, it's this individual moving all around the internet. Okay, so MailChimp, I sign up for a newsletter and it comes from MailChimp. I open it. Now someone has my hashed email address. My token is 1234. And then LiveRamp is saying, okay, this token that went to the person that's 1234 also is at IP address 1.1.1.1. And then they visited Facebook and that fired the other pixel that we get. And now we're collecting all this information about this anonymous person. Yeah. And they're selling that to data brokers with that de-identified hash and the data brokers are selling it to Procter & Gamble. It's just a whole infrastructure of de-identified behavioral data that's used for targeted advertising without PII, without personal identifiable information. Okay, let me get this straight, Right, There's a collection of data about a non-identifiable user. Let's say I am that user and 
Now, LiveRamp has an idea that user 1234 with a hashed email address has all these behaviors and fits into all these targets. How does that get from traffic on my website to me actually having that person's email address? Sure. So here's where it gets gray area. I would consider everything that they're doing above board completely. Like you couldn't even argue with it because it's how the whole world works now, right? You're really not in the spirit of the MD5. It's not to go and decrypt it, but it can be done. And this is the service that we're providing, right? So this is why it's a big gray area. So you said MD5. Uh, let's just make sure we're clear. What is MD5? MD5 is synonymous with hash. An email hash is MD5. Okay. And there's some other different encryption standards. There's two or three of them that everybody uses. MD5 is one of them. It's an encryption standard. So essentially, you're getting these encrypted emails. Exactly. So the email address in the cookie is a unique identifier that's de-identified, right? It's no PII. And that's what the MD5 is. It's a mm -hmm. de-identified, unique identifier of an email address. So get emails essentially takes this encrypted email address and decrypts it to say, okay, now I have the real email address. Exactly. And the only way to decrypt these email addresses is if you already have the same email address and you just encode it into the same language. Okay. If you had every email address in the world, you would be able to decrypt every single MD5 that ever existed into the actual email address. I want to go into legality. We're going to put a pin on that. We're going to cover that in our next episode. And trust me, I'm going to ask you some really tough questions on this one. Hey, man, I'm buttoned up. I get abused on Facebook all day long with these ads I do. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> we're going to get into that. But let's just put a pin in it for a second. Everybody, we're going to talk about the legality. You're able to take decrypted emails that you're getting from a data broker. You're reverse engineering them to actually get the email addresses. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So what are the use cases once you have those email addresses when a end user did not expressly give that information to you? So 
we launched this product in November. I was fully expecting engagement to be like half of what an opt-in list was on average or something like that. But like the cost of them was a fifth. So I thought the math would just work. Shockingly, these email lists are so recent and so targeted that the engagement in most cases is actually higher than people's opt-in list. Doesn't make any sense. Trust me, you'll use it. You'll see the same thing. So the use case is you can send very targeted and engaged email to people who are on your website and they don't complain. They don't unsubscribe. They just open the email addresses. They click through. They engage just as well as an opt-in subscriber would. They don't buy as quickly, we've found, but everything else, they do exactly the same as an opt-in list. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. So first off, the performance of these emails, your theory is because they are so new and so relevant and they're all verified to be recent activity is relatively high. And so essentially what happens is even though someone didn't say, yes, I want to get an email from you, you're cold emailing me, you're basically replacing the dead emails with live ones. So the rates end up being relatively the same if you were actually doing warm email list from a list that's been collected. I think that's right. If everybody was hyper, hyper diligent in eliminating unengaged contacts from their email list, like if people don't open for two weeks, I'll take them off, then often open rates would be much higher. But like, mm -hmm. I think you nailed it there. So email marketing, what gets you in trouble are old lists. That's it. Old lists and rented lists, right? But spam traps are the thing that really screws your deliverability. And the more recent a list in email marketing, the better it performs, generally speaking. So you have a list of people that they may not have opted in, but you're sending them an email immediately. And we know that person was alive because we cooked him in the last seven days. So yeah, this combination of things just works. So the other thing that you mentioned was they don't buy as quickly, which means that the people that you're emailing are actually in a different portion of the buyer's journey, likely because they weren't far enough along in the buyer journey to actually give you the email address. So have you seen any use cases where somebody's saying, I've collected this email address without it being opt-in. So knowing that's the case, I'm going to modify my email marketing strategy and copy to address the fact that I am basically introducing myself to this person. So we tell everybody to do that. Not in any major way, but our two target audiences right now are e-commerce and then bloggers and publishers. For e-commerce, what we're telling people to do is just copy your standard three-part welcome series in Klaviyo or whatever it is. That's an ESP. Change the subject line of the first one to thanks for stopping by, but like leave the offer, the same thing, coupon or whatever you have in there for your standard welcome series, and then leave the rest of it the same as it used to be. And that seems to work great. We have been telling bloggers and publishers, so we have real-time data population. So you can send an email 30 minutes after someone was on your website saying, thanks for coming on the site. Put something in there. If you're a blogger, maybe it's your like best evergreen content. Something that gets them back to the site, right? Because that's all you're really trying to do with these emails. It's re-engage these people and give them a reason to become more active on your website. And then maybe they opt in later, maybe they don't. But now at least they've seen your brand. They've hopefully reacted positively. And now they're on your real newsletter. So you can continue to nurture that person forever. Right. They are somewhat self-selecting in the sense that they've at least gotten to your website already. And now essentially you're modifying your copy to be more of an introduction. You know, to me, there's still a creepy factor of, you know, if I'm an e-commerce brand and you're there, you know, checking out whatever my wares are and all of a sudden I'm saying, hey, thanks for stopping by. 
I'm sitting here scratching my head saying, I didn't give you my email address, so what do you mean? How do you address the creepy factor? A couple things to talk about here. One, we've only seen complaint problems from people who don't set up a welcome series and wait and send to these contacts in newsletter format well after they gather them. So the narrative I have in my head for that is that retargeting is so ubiquitous, all sorts of retargeting, whether it's web retargeting or like Amazon sending you these abandonment emails. I think retargeting is so ubiquitous that it's no longer an infuriating event to send somebody an email who you remember being on their website. It's like, maybe I gave them an email, maybe I didn't, maybe they got, I don't know. But the data just suggests that that's no longer an infuriating event. I'm totally tempted to test this, put it on the MarTech podcast episode pages and send an email saying, hey, we're marketers. Check out how good our email retargeting is. You didn't even give us your address. And here's your welcome email. So yeah, we do something like that with Get Emails on the Get Emails page. Look how well this works. Yeah, something to that effect. I forget what it was because we did it back in November. And it gets customers. You know, I own an email marketing company too, which is why I know this stuff about deliverability and all that. We use it for that as well. It's kind of like you want to book a demo or whatever. Okay. So Todd, who manages my content production here at the MarTech podcast, and I were talking about, we have this audience, tens of thousands of people that are listening to this podcast. We don't really know who they are. And we don't really have access to them. And we have this sponsorship model, which creates revenue for our business. But we want to be able to de-risk the sponsorship model by owning the relationship with our end consumers to be able to provide value to them and try to build a community which would be monetizable. And we're starting to think about where we start here. And Todd dropped the line that the access to an email address is worth a dollar a month. So essentially, you can monetize an email address on average, $1 per email address per month. So $12 per user. So, you know, as I'm thinking about, hey, the value I'm creating, if I'm thinking about an email address being collected, being worth a dollar, now that's normally an opt-in email address, which somebody is farther along in the buying funnel. How do you think about the value of those email addresses? And then how do you think about pricing when you're enabling or essentially lowering the bar for collecting email addresses? The quick answer is that email address is worth 12 bucks a year. It is opt-in. We're selling you email addresses starting at a quarter and they go down from there. And that's for their whole life, right? And they'll last longer than a year. So as I mentioned before, these people are higher up the funnel than an opt-in. They're certainly higher up the funnel than someone who's purchased from you. So for an e-commerce company, it's really a higher bar that you have to jump over to show ROI. In a lot of e-commerce companies, they need to show ROI as a proportion to their gross margin and all that stuff. If you're just selling your reach, it's an unbelievable value proposition because these are real eyeballs that engage. And if you don't need to convert them quickly, if advertisers just want to get in front of your target audience and they just want eyeballs on their advertisements, this is a tool that will give you phenomenal ROI for that reason. If an email address to you selling to advertisers in this market of people that are listening to your stuff is a dollar a month per email address, and I can give you email addresses for 25 cents all in that are also listening to your stuff, it's just a crazy monetizable value if you can get people back to your website and collect them. Because the list in the eyes of the advertisers are going to perform the exact same. The value is clearly there. I think the practice is the thing that I have some questions on. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and the legality of collecting email addresses from anonymous web traffic in our next episode. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. 
Thanks to Adam Robinson, founder of Get Emails, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Adam and I are going to talk about the legality of harvesting email addresses from your web traffic. And if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Adam, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Adam underscore L underscore Robinson, A-D-A-M underscore L underscore R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. Or you can visit his company's website, which is getemails.com. Just one link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You could subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J. S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Adam Robinson, founder of Get Emails, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.